0: It is Father's Day, and just if you weren't here a month ago, I'm going to give you some context. We decided this year to take Mother's Day and Father's Day and just talk about what we see as the biblical kind of definitions, if you will, and callings of motherhood or womanhood and manhood. And again, I'm not going to recap it, but for Mother's Day, we kind of gave it to you right up front, there is a calling for motherhood, not not whether you are a mother or not a mother, but there's a calling to motherhood, whether you're a spiritual mom or you're just you know, living out those, those characteristics because of the influence of the generation that you have and because of the strength in which God gave you. And so we talked about the Azir Konegdo, and my wife was joining me that day, and there's a lot of good things you can go back. and If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it for Mother's Day uh, this year. So today, I'm going to give you right up front kind of the bottom line for today as well, uh, that biblical manhood, we see that. For every man, as a divine calling, to reflect the Father's heart. All right, in terms of for, for men, regardless of whether you're a dad now or not, especially to the young men in the room, I really want you to hear this that the ultimate call, the ultimate goal is to reflect the Father's heart. And, and whether or not you had a good example of that uh, or not uh, in this earthly life, you know, hopefully you had a good example. Uh, by the way, in this earthly realm, all of our examples are imperfect. <laughs> our, dad, our dads are imperfect, uh, and maybe you had a good one. Maybe you didn't. You didn't. You had a not so great example uh, in a relationship with a with a dad or a father figure in your life, and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, this calling, this divine calling, is to to have to reflect the heart of our heavenly Father, the perfection, if you will. Of what a father is and can and should be uh, for us, and so that's that's what this really is. So I'm going to go through this intro really quickly, uh, kind of what we did last time. Again, we're doing it all from from Genesis, the creation of men and women. We talked a little bit about this in Mother's Day, but God breathed into the nostrils of man, you know, uh, the life, uh, the life of man, and he came to life and. God said it's not good for him to be alone. We're really thankful that God recognized that pretty early on, you know. So he looked through all creation, everything that he had made, and there wasn't a helper, there wasn't any a, a compatible partner uh, for men. And so he took a rib out of the man and created woman. And she was the Azare connecto. She was that. Um, companion, that kind of yin-di-yang, yin, so to speak, without the Eastern references, but kind of the idea of the completion of what God wanted to do as he created mankind in his image. Now, this I know that we're in Pride Month, and I know it's a, it's a time, and if you struggle with a cultural concept of men and women being different in gender and so on and so on, I cannot teach that message today, okay? That's not, that's not where we're going. That's not where we are. However, I will tell you, it's very difficult to understand the heart of the Father if you have uh, some confusion as to what it means to be a man or to be a woman because there is a significant difference in how God created men and created women, all right? Now, that we were created equal in value and merit. All right? In terms of the reflection of God's image, that's how we were created, in equal equal, in value and merit in terms of our worth and, and significance to God, but we were absolutely designated differently in role and function. All right, We were designated differently in role and function. And it shows up in the physi- physiology and, and biology of how we were created. All right? Now, it shows up in our role and function too, like Why did God make men sort of the head of the household? I don't know. I'll ask him when I get there. You know, like that's one of the decisions he made to to create men in terms of this leadership of the household. Why did he say women were going to struggle after the the fall uh, to want to control men? I don't know. That's another thing we can ask him when we get there. It's part of whether it was part of creation and part of the fall. We see the designation differently in men and women, and we see it played out uh, even in our biology, even in our physiology. Okay, men just being stronger or more muscular or just the, the bone mass, it's just so different and it came out to be part of that role and function even in our lives, right? Uh, listen, neurologically, I don't know if you know this and done any studies on this, but neurologically, the pathways of our brains even work extremely differently, all right? This is why boys or men are three and four times more likely to be diagnosed ADD or ADHD because of the ability and the way in which they've been created to hyper-focus all right, to hyper-focus. It's one of the reasons they were incredible at work. They were incredible on the battlefield. Like, there's, there's a reason that God did this. There's also, we talked about it on Mother's Day, there's also a reason that uh, women's neurological pathways kind of have this incredible design to be able to handle multiple tasks at an extraordinarily excellent level. Ladies, it's called multitasking. Can I get an amen from the ladies at all, right? Like, like that's true, right? And men's brains don't, we're not wired that way. And that's not just nurture. You guys with me? That's that's part of God's design. Created equal in in, in worth and value and merit, but definitely designated differently. So here's the the passage I wanted to kick us off to today as we talk about biblical manhood. This is a closing uh, part of the passage in the book of Corinthians, the the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he's given them all these instructions, like don't pick on Timothy because he's young, you know, treat these people well, say hello to so and so. When you send people back, send money and send people. Like, you know, that's that's kind of the closing of the books. Most of his letters have that kind of similar closing. But he does tell the church this and the church leadership. He says, Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done with what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, your every action must be done with love. And then he goes on to, again, give names and things that were going on. It's an interesting part of that. And if you go to several different translations and things, you might read some different words. As a matter of fact, the NLT uh, uses the um, uh, the phrase act courageously or act with courage. A couple of them do that. Now, that's part, part and parcel because of what the word, the actual Greek word means. But, you know, the reason that, that several say just act like men is because there was a masculine... tone to the word itself being used that Paul was telling the leaders of the church at that time, like, you're going to stand firm in the faith and be strong, and I want you to act like men, right? Well, what does that mean? What did Paul mean when he said, act like a man, right? Now, I was thinking through examples of this, and I wanted to give you, I didn't put pictures up for every single one of these, but I wanted to give you a few examples in my head. Um, When I thought about my parents' generation, Okay, my parents' generation, some of you guys might be here, but when my parents' generation, if you were to say act like a man, you might have gotten a few different responses as to what that might look like, but for a lot of them, it was John Wayne, all right? I mean, right? Am I right? Like, it was John Wayne. And maybe, okay, not John Wayne, the actor, like, like the characters, right, that he played uh, and, and that. And then when I grew up, my generation, I'm not saying this for everybody but for me it was an interesting shift because it wasn't just one guy you know my when i grew up it was the a team you guys remember the a team right and it wasn't just one guy it was like an option right because you could you could have the the strategy and the wisdom of the colonel you know you could have the strength or the the meanness of of, of uh, BA Baracus Mr T you know you could have the charm and the winsome personality of Face you could you could be a little bit crazy you know and 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 kind of boyish like Murdoch like that was for me kind of one of those things where it was like well you didn't have one person but that was a cool example right where they were all men right they were all they were all these soldiers and soldiers of fortune or they call them and they said that was that it was kind of all different ways in which they acted. Today, what's, what does our current generation look like? What does it look like if you were to say, you know, act like a man? Well, there's a couple of examples I wanted to give you. And it seems to be, and I'm going to kind of share why this is the case. These are probably two of the most popular, okay? Uh, David Goggins, in case you don't know him, um, is he's run like ultra marathons and you know, set world records and finished all the SEAL training and the Air Force training and the special ops training. Like he's just, if you look him up, I think they call him like the toughest man alive, okay? And he's got a very interesting story. And that seems to be kind of one ideal. Then there seems to be another one, which like Harry Styles, he's a very popular actor and artist and kind of refuses to acknowledge or label himself sexuality-wise and you know, can date men and women and do all the kind of thing, be binary or fluid or whatever. And this is him uh, at the Vogue uh, premiere because his, his Vogue shoot was him in a dress and all sorts of stuff. And it seems to be, I don't know if you see this as well as I do, but it seems to be that the most common cultural responses to this question, act like a man, it seems the examples we're given, it seems to be extreme examples, right? That they tend to be if you, And this is frustrating for me to look this up or to do research and to see that the, that the extremes of this are all that seem to be what catches people's attention. You know, it's the overcorrection, if you will, and I'll tell you why I think it's the case with David Goggins and other people. And, uh, um, you know, kind of like, you know, I, I looked up probably eight different groups online that support men or how to be, you know, better men, and six out of the eight... Everyman, Mankind Challenge, uh, Call of the Warrior, Elite Men, like all these things all kind of lean towards that David Goggins, you know, grow some hair on your chest, go outside and bark at the moon. Everybody with me? Like, you, know, like, like you got to do some stuff to be a man. And some of them, about two out of the eight, are almost like this complete extreme of you know, you need to have like a support group for, for toxic masculinity and you need to apologize for the way in which men have hurt people. And, and, and it seems to be this massive gulf, if you will, of what it means to be a man in our current culture. And then I thought through, obviously, because this is what we do as a church, right, what does the Bible say? What what does the Bible say? What would our response be? What is the Bible's response, if you will, to our call? And what does it look like? Well, here's, I went to 1 John. This is the disciple John. And it says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. I talked about this last series in terms of the rules, the ideals and instructions, why we still obey those. Um, But if someone claims that I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person's a liar and is not living in the truth means that kind of living for God and being a follower of God really does mean we're going to live according to His ideals and instructions. It says, but those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. This is how we know that we're living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as who? Right, as Jesus did. Those who say they follow Christ should be living their lives in such a way as Jesus did. This is the disciple, John, talking about Jesus. Paul says it this way, because Paul was definitely, again, a follower of Jesus. And as he was, again, early on in in that letter to Corinth, the church in Corinth, he said, I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ that there was a modeling, if you will, that our model only needed to be Jesus when it came to the modeling of the Father's heart because Jesus made it extraordinarily clear that if you wanted to know who the Father was, you just need to look to him. So in terms of what does it mean to act like a man, our response, in terms of what I believe the church's response should be, is Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's not to be churchy and it's not to be simple, but You guys remember a couple decades ago, the WWJD bracelets and all that kind of thing, the the movement there? Like, that was actually a decent thing. Like, it was not a bad idea to take every single thing. Now, I know people kind of misused it, and, you know, what what would Jesus do? Well, he would totally cut this guy off in traffic for sure, you know. (laughs) But that was part and parcel kind of the attempt to start the question, who should I be modeling my life after? What would Jesus do in this moment? Because our response to living out and reflecting the Father's heart as men really does have a lot to do with how we see and how it's been modeled for us to follow Jesus. So when it comes to act like a man but do everything with love, we do have to do a little bit of investigation as to what he meant by that in terms of love. What does that look like to stand firm and to be strong and to be courageous and act like a man and yet do everything in love? Here's how Jesus talks about love, specifically with one of the um, Religious leaders. They were debating him. They were trying to trick him. We've talked about this before as a church. Like a lot of times they were, they'd stand around and listen to Jesus teach and then they'd try to throw in questions to throw him off his game, you know, and, and try to get people to see that Jesus was a fraud. But this is one of those instances we're going to look at Mark 12 where it says, one of the teachers of the religious law, he was standing there and he was listening to the debate and he realized that Jesus had answered well. Right? Like he, he was basically like, you know what? This guy seems to know what he's talking about. He realized he answered well. Like he he might have it. So he again, this was all said to be trick, to try to trick him. It said, "Of all the commandments, which one?" Is the most important. Last week we talked about X. We finished Exodus and talked about the law, not just the Ten Commandments, right? Like we're talking about six hundred and thirteen Levitical commands and all the stuff that had been added on by prophets and people all the way up to Jesus. So he's basically saying, "Hey, Jesus, out of the six hundred and thirteen that we're supposed to follow, six fourteen, depending on which you know commentary you read, which one are we supposed to do? Which one's the most important?" And so here's Jesus' response. And maybe you've heard this before. The most important command is this. I love this because he he it like, seems like he's going to give him a one-liner, right? Like, here we go. Here's the one thing to remember. And what he does is he pulls from the law. He pulls from the Torah. He pulls from Deuteronomy. He pulls from Moses' writings and says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is your one and only God. Remember last week we talked about it like, you're not trying to get to God by the law. You already got him. He's your one and only God. Now follow his command. So here's Jesus reminding them of the order of things. So He's your God, Israel. Then he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with everything that you are, breaking that out into all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he says, the second is equally important because Jesus, you know, they asked for one thing, but Jesus gave them two because that's just how Jesus plays, okay? So that's, the, he, that's how he rolls. So he's like, here's your one thing, and it's a double-sided coin. It's more complex than you might think, but it's loving God with all you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the secondly, second is equally important because he again says love, but now he says love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. This, is, this goes hand in hand. No other commandment is greater than these. If you're going to boil it all down, that's fine. It's more complex than you think, but it's, it's this. It's the full devotion and the love with all your heart. You're going to love God and you're going to love others. And then sandwiched in between there is this breakdown, if you will, of, of what that looks like because it's who we are. Right it's it's our character and our integrity it's it's not just it's not just the the idea of loving others it should come from within you it's how you think right all your mind it's 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 how you your actions that you take the way you live does matter the actions you take with your strength you you are portraying to someone and reflecting the heart of god or the heart of something else So that's what I really, I looked at it, and I was just like, this is really probably the best example that Jesus gives of just even for men, to encourage men, what does it look like for us to act like a man, (laughs) like that challenge by Paul, to act like a man and to do everything with love? Because sometimes those things don't feel like they go together in our current culture, or the definition of it is just so far out there. So what does that look like? Loving God with all of who we are and loving others as that fruit, as that, as that example. Well, let's just walk through these. I'll try to do this quickly, but who we are is our soul, who we are when no one's looking, who we are when it matters most, who we are deep on the inside, that voice that only you hear. Who are we and who we are matters. Here's how Paul says it in the, to the church in Galatia. He tells them that freedom is why Christ set us free. And, you know, what stopped you from, from living out the freedom that Christ gave you? And he talked about the flesh, the, the nature of the battle that goes on between the Spirit of God and the flesh. And we could choose to live out of either one of these two things. But he, he does end with helping under, us understand the, the Spirit is going to produce things in you, change who you are. This is how it says, it says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What's the first one? Yeah, well, sorry, I didn't say say it out loud. What's the first one? Say it out loud. Love, love right. So how are we supposed to do everything with love? Well, that's supposed to be something that God's producing in us. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We tried to tell you guys uh, every time we teach this, this is not a list to put on your fridge and in your car, you know, be more kind today. You know, I mean, I'm not saying you can't pray through this, you know, but it's not a list for you to achieve. It's a list that says, if you're going to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, if you're going to love God in this kind of full encompassing way, that God is now going to produce in you the fruit. He's going to, you're going to respond in your day in a way that was kind when you might not have done that before. You're going to respond to others in love when you might not have done that before. You're going, to re- you're going to live out something. You're going to have patience for the first time at a traffic light, let's just say. okay. Like it's one of these ideas that, that God does this all internally to help change who you are, your soul. And when we love God fully, that he begins to make and change that work, our character, our integrity, no, not just matter because of how we'll get caught. It doesn't just matter because of how people perceive us. It doesn't just matter because of you know jobs and, and, and those kind of things. It matters because God's doing a work in you. And it matters in how we love others, especially this most significant relationships in our life. This is how Paul talked to the church at Ephesus when he was talking about um, the church But then he kind of turned it into the understanding of of husbands and wives. He said, I want you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That was everyone. He was like, this mutual submission happens because Jesus is what works that in you. And it says, but for wives, this means you submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Again, talking a little bit about the role and function, but he he goes on to say, husbands are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, wives should submit to husbands and everything. This wasn't talking about a doormat. We've told you this before. Like, this is talking about the fact that, that there, was a, there was a role and function and why the men were going to lead the household and be spiritual leaders. And that there was something that was unique about the submission. Not just the mutual submission, but the submission that comes from the woman to the man. And then he says to the man, to the husbands, it means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. And then in case you don't know, he continues with many more sentences than he does for the women. Women seem to get it pretty quick, right? Men, we don't get it as fast. He gives men example after example after example of what does that mean? To love your wife in such a way that that requires this kind of strength to lay down your life for her to lift her up as holy and blameless, to wash her in the word of God, right? To, to, to love her, to understand that loving her in, in such a way that God's called you to sacrificially love her actually is the best thing you can do for you to actually love yourself. I mean, listen, if men ever understood this, watch out, ladies, right? Like if men really understood this, that the best way to live out this love in terms of who we are, is to be completely sacrificial. It's the most beneficial thing back to us. And this is, Again, this is Paul telling husbands. And, and, he, and he goes on to talk about, again, this is the, the, the kind of strength required and the kind of strength being played out from the soul, the who, they, who we are as people. Okay? Because I understand, mutual submission is a Mutual submission is a, you know, you could say it and be like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to, you know, help each other and love each other and do the things. This is how Paul is describing it. Mutual submission, when he talks about wives submitting to the husbands, I told you this before, The language is strength surrendered, a choice. It is not a cat. I told you this before, right? A cat does not surrender its strength to me. It's a cat. I just kick it, you know? I apologize if any of you love cats, but I would totally kick a cat, okay? So, I, like, like, listen, it's, 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 not a, it's not a threat. It's a cat. But a tiger bowing down, is everybody with me? A lioness bowing down is strength surrendered. And I'm telling you, ladies, if you only understood that, that that's what Paul is, was, was teaching us, But he was also teaching men that the sacrificial nature of how we were called to love our wives and those around us was strength governed. Was the strength that we have under control, under the control of the Holy Spirit. I don't think most men understand the strength required to deny yourself fully. The strength required to give up your rights, your desire to be served, your desire to be right, your desire to have your needs met. The strength required is sacrificial. And we see it in the person of Christ. That is what Paul is getting at here. The sacrifice you're going to have to have is the one that Christ had to have when he gave his life up for the bride of Christ for the church. That should be the strength that you operate from in terms of how, who you are and how you live this out in terms of loving, everything you're doing with love. I, I, you know, uh, one of the saddest things, I'll, I'll move on in a minute, but one of the saddest things about our culture is that in a desire to get rid of the, the poorly managed and uncontrolled strength of men, was to try to get rid of strength altogether. Our culture said, well, we, you know, there's too many toxic, uncontrolled men that's hurting women, hurting people, and we need to get rid of that strength altogether, and we need them to be safe. We'd rather have a safe man than a strong man. And I don't think the culture understood what they were doing. Because to remove our strength was to remove the, what God gave us to sacrifice in ourselves, to give up for the sake of him. We were not called to be safe, men. i just go ahead and say it out loud for you. I love this quote, and this is the great example that I have. Is, uh, uh, it's the quote from the fictional work of C.S. Lewis. Um with uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he paints, uh, if you know Aslan, the, 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 the lion, if you will, it's kind of his parallel to God for this fictional story, but what a great conversation that happens between the little girl who has a very naive sort of like, you, if you know the story, she's very naive, like, let's hug the lion like a puppy, you know, kind of thing, like, let's just, you know, it's going to be all great, but she's talking to the beaver about the lion. Because she hasn't met him yet, and so the lion and the beaver and the, and the young girl are talking, and he says, "Aslan's a lion, the lion, the great lion." And she says, "Well, is he quite safe? I should rather feel feel nervous about meeting a lion." <laughs> and and Mr. Beaver says, "Safe? Who said anything about safe? He's a lion, right? Like I mean, that's that's kind of what I picture here. Of course." He isn't safe, but he's good. And, and guys, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there again because be, this can be misconstrued, but we were not called to be safe. But if we're going to reflect the heart of the Father, we are not only called to be for good, but we have to be good. That has to be something that God is doing in us because that's the heavenly father we have. He's a good, good father, no matter what happens. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. That's the kind of sacrificial strength that God gave you men that we need to kind of return back to. And again, following the example of Christ. Let me keep going with the way we think. Um, This is obviously a little bit more Straightforward, but you know, Romans 12 2 tells us we shouldn't copy the customs and behaviors and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And, if, and listen, if there's any verse that I think is going to be needed to define the coming decade of Christians, it's this verse. Because how in the world are we going to stand firm in our faith and kind of reject the conformity required of our culture and act like men and yet still do it with love if he doesn't help us transform the way we think? That's what Paul's saying here. I love this example too. Paul gives this again. I'm I'm going back to Corinthians a lot because this is a lot of what Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church. But Paul was dealing with a church kind of dealing with, you know, they were talking about spiritual gifts and, 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 and the importance and the, kind of the one-upping of one another in terms of spiritual gifts. And then Paul goes into that really great passage about love. If you guys had it read at your wedding. You know, I just did a wedding yesterday and read it. Love is kind. Love is patient. Every night your you're ahead of your with me. You know, You know that verse. But the context of that is really interesting because once he gets done talking about what love is, he actually says this. He says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love is going to last forever. You know, the things you guys are focused on, you know, the things that you, the prophecy and the tongues and the whatever, like the stuff you're worried about is not going to last forever. Love's going to last forever. And then he goes, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things, again, will become useless. Now, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things, right? When I grew up, I put away childish things. And now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And, and that I know now All that I know now is is partial and incomplete, but then I'm going to know everything completely just as God knows me completely. He's just talking about a then and a now situation. And again, kind of ends with three things are going to last forever faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? (coughs) Is love. Now, sometimes, now again, people use that verse a lot that when I was a child, I spoke in reason as a child. And you, you use that verse to help call people up to maturity and and all that kind of thing. But I I just kind of laugh because the context of that really does matter. He's talking to a bunch of people who think they know everything, right? I mean, are there any parents in the room who get exhausted at talking to children who think they know everything, right? My daughter does this weird ninja thing and we're trying to correct her. No, that's not what that means. And I'm like, no, no. And she's like, no, I know that's not what it means. I meant the other thing that you just said that you said it meant. That's what I meant. And so Paul basically is saying, yeah, yeah, the childish reasoning that you have where you think you know everything is going to be nothing but a problem for you. He's talking about them in spiritual realms. He's like, this tongues and prophecy and special knowledge, yeah, all these things are as partial and incomplete. You don't know as much as you think you know, but I'm telling you a better way to live is to embrace what's going to last forever. Faith, hope, and love. That's what's going to last. Knowledge, we know this. Knowledge produces pride. Knowledge, the Proverbs says, knowledge puffs up. That's that's that tends to be a lot of men, right? I don't need directions. I don't need instructions. I'll just figure it out on my own, right? I got news for you. I'll speak on behalf of most men. Most of the time, we have no idea what we're doing. We don't. Yes. Yeah, but we certainly have to act like we do. <laughs> and what Paul's trying to help him understand is the ultimate strength and confidence you could see in men displaying the heart of the Father is humility. Because wisdom is going to produce that humility. It's not about what you think you know. And that comes with the transformation of our mind, changing the way we think. Let's keep going. How we are the actions we take. Again, going back to this act like a man. Everything must be done in love. And again, I don't know what that looks like for you, but most people aren't even asking the question nowadays, what does it look like to have conflict with love? What does it look like to disagree with people in our culture with love? Because we're told to stand strong. We're told to be firm. We're told to act like men and be courageous. Yay! But every action we take must be with love. So what does that look like? Like how is that going to change the way in which you respond? Listen, you know, part of the degradation of our society comes from social media because we, don't, we, we have spent years kind of responding and speaking and typing and tweeting away with no filter at all. Everything that comes to our mind that we would probably have never said to a person to their face. And we have now done it long enough that now we say it to their face. And it's a problem. Because I'm telling you, the words we're saying in this culture right now and the actions we have do not come with love. They don't. And most of us don't even think to ask that question because we assume that because it's not coming at us with love, we don't have to respond that way. And yet, that is what we're called to. Here's how, again, Paul says it to the Ephesians. Paul says it this way, especially when it comes to dads, and I wanted to put this in here. Don't provoke your children with anger and too anger by the way you treat them. Bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord is so necessary because we are called to, to raise these kids. And the pandemic, and, the, and not, the, not the pandemic, I'm sorry, but the, but the crisis of fatherless homes continues as, as the previous generation to us and then our generation to the next, it continues to only increase that there are no longer men around to model the behavior for kids. So they're not, getting, they're not getting one of the, at least one of the halves, if you will, of the picture and the image of God of what it looks like to follow him and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love this. This is one of my favorite books I give dads, but it's Robert Lewis, Raising a Modern Day Knight, and it says, boys become men in a community of men. There is no substitute for this vital component. Boys become men in a community of men. Why? Because all kids, let alone just boys, but all kids, they they catch what is modeled far earlier than they understand what's being taught. Everybody get that? They catch, they catch it, what is being modeled for them, far earlier than they understand the actual teaching and what's being taught to them. They catch it. One of the reasons, and you can read any study you want, one of the reasons the majority of young people are finding somewhere else to take their questions than the church is not because of what the church has Taught them it's what they have seen adults model for them. That we don't actually believe the things that we say we believe is what they're seeing model for them, and I'm telling you, it's caught way earlier than it's taught. It's one of the reasons I was sharing this morning about Kid Street. One of the reasons we teach values to kids, this is part of the, what we do as a, as, a, as a church, we teach the values of our faith to children, is because we want to help them see in Scripture how it's modeled, you know, in Scripture and modeled in the behavior and the, in the lives of people uh, in our, our small group leaders and our people. We want to see them how it's modeled for them. Like, we don't teach them the Westminster Confession, and the Westminster Confession is phenomenal doctrine. But they're not going to understand that. They're not, going to, they're not going to follow and really, truly understand the depths of what they're being taught because what they need to see right now is the value modeled. Right now, we're going through faith. And story after story, this month, our kids are learning and hearing stories about how faith was modeled in Scripture. And they're hearing stories from, from leaders and teachers and small group leaders, how it's modeled in their life. And a quick plug for Kid Street, like, we always need more men in Kid Street. We always need more men to model in Kid Street. It's not just the love, so to speak, that we love God and that we need to love others with. It's sandwiched in between this, like, full devotion of who are we becoming? Who are we in our soul? What? How are we thinking is every action that we take modeling the right behavior that helps us reach this divine calling of the Father's heart? Well, I'm going to close this with this story. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke 15. I mean, I just gave you a whole bunch of stuff and a couple lists and some logical kind of reasoning, but Jesus just told stories because he was excellent at it. He's amazing. And one of the ways in which Jesus did this was he told a story, he told a parable to help talk about the father's heart. So we're going to read this together. I'm going to start in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share my estate with you before or I want to share my estate before you die. And so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to kiss his son. Sorry, ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. (laughs) So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. But The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. But the son replied, All of these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my Friends, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Jesus shares this story for a lot of different reasons, but its primary purpose is just to help them see the heart of the Father, the heart of God. In the story, that's God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, like like everything we're talking about goes back to this picture of the Father's heart. But he also wanted them to see the Son's hearts, the self-indulgent heart, and the self-righteous heart. The self-indulgent heart that says, um, we want to make our own decisions. We want to live our own way. We want to live our own life. The self-indulgent heart that has to ask forgiveness because we screw up a lot and we, we, we treat others poorly because it's all about us in the moment. The self-righteous heart (laughs) because we feel like we know better than others. The self-righteous heart because we feel entitled to God's grace. We are easily offended and often bitter. The question that I was thinking through for this day was just the same question that I believe Jesus wanted to take a a moment with, with who He was teaching. And have them just ask that question. You know, whose heart are you reflecting? Men in the room, young men in the room, I I just want you to know like, you're already reflecting someone's heart. Could be yours, could be self indulgent, could be self righteous, could be a lot of other things. But the calling on us is to reflect the heart of the Father. That's why he wants to do this work in us. That's why he wants to change who we are and how we think and the actions we take. That's why Paul said, I want you to stand strong and be courageous and act like a man. And yet, everything you're going to do, you're going to do with love. Because loving God and loving others is part of this whole command that requires our whole heart. So whose heart are you reflecting? I'm gonna do something a little different today, and I hope you don't mind. I'm gonna ask all the all the men in the room, even the young men in the room, I want you guys to stand. Um, I'm gonna pray specifically for you today. Um, so it doesn't matter whether you're dead or not, I want all the men to, to stand in the room. And all the all the moms and sisters and friends and aunts and grandmothers and everybody else that's in the room, I just want you to know we're praying for you. We're praying with you that that God would, would give you the wisdom to continue to move towards reflecting his heart more than anything else. We're praying for you, and that's kind of how I wanted to close this day. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so thankful for all the ones that are in this room and for those watching online, God, that that this message, this heart of, 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 of the Father would just be poured out on the men here. That God, for us, we would finally maybe click, we would finally understand what's so wrong about the culture's... Picture of a real man. And the beauty and the strength that comes from Jesus reflecting and calling us to reflect the love that we have for God and for others based on who we are. And God, I'm praying right now that your Holy Spirit is doing a work in in these men's hearts. Their character, their integrity—why it matters, where the strength really comes from, what it's what they're called to do with that strength. I'm praying for how they think; they wouldn't continue to be pressed into the conformity of this world, but that they would understand the need to stand firm and to be strong, and to let you renew the way they think, change the way they think, and transform their mind, and that God ultimately with all of those things in play, that the actions we take, the words we say, the lives we are modeling for the next generation, God would be done with love. That people wouldn't see safe men, but they would see good men. They would see strong men in Christ. And that God, that how we love you and how we love this world that you told us would be the marker. It would be the way in which people knew we belonged and were followers of you. We pray all of this in this room for the men in our care. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.